The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. subject of what is revelation. So in the first segment, we discussed briefly the definition of revelation as it pertains to the Urantia book and went through the previous four epical revelations that were presented to us over the course of time in the evolution of our planet. And then in the last or previous podcast, uh, I introduced you to a divine counselor as a way of introducing you to the concept of what a Trinity origin personality or being looks like. And we learn from the Urantia book in part one about these beings, about these personalities who have a specific function in the universe. And in the case of a divine counselor, just like the name implies, their job is to counsel. Their job is to reveal revelation. They have a big hand in revealing information like Uh, revelation, truth, to the myriads of evolutionary worlds and uh, will creatures just like ourselves. In fact, the first five chapters or papers of the Arantia book were authored by a divine counselor. And the writing is exquisite because what they're talking about really is the nature of God and the relationship that God has not only on a universal level with the entirety of creation, but also with the individual. I believe that the first five papers of the Arantia book and its depiction of God the Father, the first source and center, are perhaps the best written literature describing the true nature of deity that can be found anywhere on the planet. Even if you don't read anything else, But the first five papers, uh, read those five papers because you will walk away with a profound understanding of just how rich and deep God really is. Not only as a universal creator and a first source and center of all things, but as a personality. And that in itself is a revelation, a furtherance of the revelation even of Christ. Christ introduced us to God the Father, the loving Father of the spiritual creature. So the Urantia book, as the fifth epical revelation, picks up from that narrative and expounds upon it. It's probably just a coincidence, but I find it interesting that the Torah is also the first five papers of Moses. And so the Arantia book, the revelation that it is, is also the first five papers, who ha- which contains the most exquisite description 
of, of deity that can be found anywhere. So that was our last uh, discussion. So now we want to move on to the third of the fourth part. The fourth part, by the way, we're going to delve into all of the things that you didn't know about Jesus that are revealed in the Arantia book. And then that'll be the conclusion of our four-part series, sort of exploring the scope, the depth, and the breadth of Revelation, the importance of it to humanity. So what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about how we got here. We're going to talk about how the Urantia book provides a revelation of our origins. And I have to tell you, folks, this was a very hard part. This is probably one of the most deeply challenging podcasts that I've ever done because I've done three takes and all of them have been shelved because I got to capture this right. I got to get this right. This has to really capture the essence of what a life carrier son is and how we got here. Because if I get it wrong, you know, and that's when I hit the delete button. We're not going to do that this time. I'm going to go through papers. uh, This is 58 that we're going to explore here. And we're going to talk about how life got here from the perspective of a life carrier son. Life carrier sons are descending sons. What does that mean, a descending son? Well, we know what ascending, ascending creatures are. Ascending creatures are us. We are ascending. We are moving inward and upward in our spiritual development. But what about trinity or divinity personalities, personalities that were created by divine beings? Well, a life carrier son is one of a series of sons, but it's the only son, it's the only being that can actually plant life or create life and take that spark of life that comes from God and act as if they are like a conduit and they are able to to catalyze living organisms. They are, and, and they're going to tell the story of how they did that for our world. And that's what we're going to talk about, where we came from, how we got here. And it's an incredible story. And we'll do that. But first, I want to just take a, a little bit of a musical interlude. And then we'll come back and we'll pick up on our part three series, the importance and the illustration of a revelation and how we got here. It's pretty interesting stuff. So I want to share some good news with you. 28,000 downloads of the Arantia Book Podcast. Keep it going. Please share. Uh, We're in the beginnings of an epical revelation. That's why we do these podcasts every week. We want to share the revelation, bring it to fellows who can maybe looking for something of this nature, looking for answers, looking for the truth, looking for meaning in their life. All of those things you can find in the Arantia book because it tells us how it is. So how we got here, what is this revelation telling us that we didn't know before? Recapping the series we're doing, 
this on the revelation, remembering that in the first segment we looked at the prior epical revelations, and then in the last segment on the Divine Counselor, we introduce you to a personality who inhabits the universe, part of God's early family. And now this time we will look at what the Urantia Revelation reveals about our very origins. So let us begin with paper 58, section 1, and it reads, 600 million years ago. Well, let me preface this by saying that the person who's writing this was there 600 million years ago. You know, the last day or two, I've been walking around with that concept to my head. Can you conceive of someone who is 600 million years old? Conceive that for a moment and then have that be relative to our own short, sweet, brief life. 600 million years ago. This is what they tell us. A commission of life carriers sent out from Jerusalem arrived on our world and began the study of physical conditions preparatory to launching life on world number 606 of our local system of worlds known as the Jerusalem system. They write, this was to be our 606th experience with these initiation of life patterns and our 60th opportunity to make changes and institute modifications in the basic and standard life designs of the local universe. They had projected a sodium chloride pattern of life. Therefore, no steps could be taken toward planting it until the ocean waters had become sufficiently briny. So they had developed this life pattern as would a chemist, a salty solution. The Urantia type of protoplasm can function only in a suitable salt solution. All ancestral life, vegetable and animal, evolved in a salt solution habitat. And even the more highly organized land animals could not continue to live, did not the same essential salt solution circulate throughout their bodies and the bloodstream which freely bathes, literally submerses every tiny living cell in this briny deep. Important statement because not only is it true, but it, it's presented to us as a revelatory piece of information showing that life was by design and not by random causation. They designed the sodium chloride solution because they knew that that would be best suited for our waters, for our oceans, for our seas, for life here. 58 section 1, paragraph 5. Slowly but surely physical developments on Earth and in adjacent space regions are preparing the stage for the later attempts to establish such life forms as we had decided would be best adapted to the unfolding physical environment both terrestrial and spatial. On a planet where life has a marine origin, the ideal condition for life and plantation are provided by a large number of inland seas. These ancient inland seas were seldom five or 600 feet deep, and sunlight can penetrate ocean water for more than 600 feet. Why is this important? We'll get to that in just a moment. Paper 58, Section 1, Paragraph 8. And it was from such seashores of the mild and equable climes of a later age that primitive plant life found its way onto land. There the high degree of carbon in the atmosphere afforded the new land varieties of life opportunity for speedy and luxuriant growth. Through this atmosphere was then ideal for plant growth. 
It contains such a high degree of carbon dioxide that no animal, much less man, could have lived on the face of the earth. And on a side note, that in our modern discussions about climate change, the Urantia book verifies that long before man showed up, there was an abundance of carbon in our atmosphere, naturally produced, of course. So section two talks now about the Urantia atmosphere, and they tell us some interesting information about how life could never be accidental or random. And there is much more to the story of preparing a world for life development. So they write from paper 58, section 2, paragraph 1, the planetary atmosphere filters through the, to the Earth about one two billionth of the sun's total light emanation. If the light falling upon North America were paid for at the rate of two cents per kilowatt hour, Chicago's bill for sunshine would amount to considerably over $100 million a day. That's from 1934. Vast solar energies pour in upon Urantia, embracing wavelengths ranging both above and below the recognition of the range of human vision. The Earth's atmosphere is all but opaque to much of the solar radiation at the extreme ultraviolet end of the spectrum. Most of these short wavelengths are absorbed by a layer of ozone which exists through a level about 10 miles above the surface of the Earth and which extends spaceward for another 10 miles. The ozone permeating this region at conditions prevailing on the Earth's surface would make a layer only about one-tenth of an inch thick. Nevertheless, this relatively small and apparently insignificant amount of ozone protects inhabitants from the excess of these dangerous and destructive ultraviolet radiations present in sunlight. But were this ozone layer just a trifle thicker, you would be deprived of the highly important and health-giving ultraviolet rays which now reach the Earth's surface and which are ancestral to one of the most essential of your vitamins. So we get all this useful information about the energy from the sun. Did we know this in 1934? It's an interesting question to ask. Paper 58, Section 2, Paragraph 3, it writes, And yet some of the less imaginative of your mortal mechanists insist on viewing material creation and human evolution as an accident. The Arantia Midwayers, these are our spirit associates, our permanent citizens of our world, the Midwayers, have assembled over 50,000 facts of physics and chemistry, which they deem to be incompatible with the laws of accidental chance, and which they contend unmistakably demonstrate the presence of intelligent purpose in the material creation. And all of this takes no account of their catalog of more than 100,000 findings outside the domain of physics and chemistry, which they maintain prove the presence of mind in the planning, creation, and maintenance of the material cosmos. So based just on the one example of the ozone and how just having that one element prevents us from even existing indicates that there was planning involved and that the ozone was not just some sort of a random thing that happened. It was by design so that we would exist. And the revelators in this section are saying, and they've cataloged 50,000 facts just of physics and chemistry alone, 
which indicate that accidental chance could never be behind it and that they unmistakably demonstrate the presence of intelligent purpose in material creation. That's pretty powerful. And that, by the way, is revelatory. There's plenty of evidence, they say, that shows that life could never have come about from random causation. Paper 58, Section 2, Paragraph 4. Your son pours forth a veritable flood of death-dealing rays, and your pleasant life on Urantia is due to the fortuitous, which they put in quotes, fortuitous influence of more than two score apparently accidental protective operations similar to the action of this unique ozone layer. Were it not for the blanketing effect of the atmosphere at night, heat would be lost by radiation so rapidly that life would be impossible of maintenance except for artificial provision. Bear in mind that one half of all of your atmosphere is to be found in the first three miles. The height of the Earth's atmosphere is indicated by the high auroral streamers about 400 miles up. So they go on to say that much of the organized matter which the blazing suns break down and disperse as radiant energy was originally built up in hydrogen clouds and under certain unusual conditions atomic disruption occurs at the nucleus of the uh, larger hydrogen masses. And these hydrogen clouds, they write, are veritable cosmic chemical laboratories harboring all phases of evolving energy and metamorphosing matter. These energy conditions of space are germane to the essential environment of life establishment. And again, you ask, why are they telling us all of this? The answer, 58, section 3, paragraph 5, all of these essential cosmic conditions had to evolve to a favorable status before the life carriers could actually begin life establishment on our world, on Urantia. So not only are the conditions have to be ripe on the world, but they also have to be ripe in space. This is where the story gets interesting. Hear the revelation part of the story of how life got here specifically. From paper 58, section 4, paragraph 1. We are called life carriers. We do and carry life to the planet. But we brought no life to Urantia. Urantia life is unique, original with the planet. This sphere is a life modification world. All life appearing hereon was formulated by us right here on the planet. And there are no other worlds in all the local universe of Nebadon that has a life existence just like that of our world. 550 million years ago, the life carrier core returned to Urantia and initiated the original life patterns of this world and planted them in the hospitable waters of the realm. All planetary life had its origin in our three original, identical, and simultaneous marine life implantations. And then right around the time the continents started to break apart, life starts to grow, as they write. And by the way, our own science has confirmed that the earliest life forms stretch back to about 550 million years ago. That fact was not known in 1934. So their, their estimation of the time and the revelation matches what science now confirms. 500 million years ago, primitive marine vegetable life was well established on Urantia. Greenland and the Arctic landmass, together with North and South America, were beginning their long and slow westward drift. 
58, Section 4, Paragraph 4, our purpose in making three marine life implantations was to ensure that each great landmass would carry this life with it in its warm water seas as the land subsequently separated. We foresaw that in the later era of the emergence of land life, large oceans of water would separate these drifting continental land masses. And that's how we got here. So now we know why they do it. They do it with the specific purpose of eventually developing intelligent will creatures with spirit potential so that we become ascenders. Plenty to ponder, but does it make sense? Does it give you a better understanding and a much greater appreciation for all that it took for us to be here, to be here now? And I hope you can appreciate how great it is to share this revelation with you. Until next time.